Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome. My name is David. I am the pastor here at Redeemer Church, which is a joy and a privilege. And I am glad you guys joined us. I'm glad you took the time uh, to come and worship on a um, on a morning that feels like it should be much warmer in Houston, Texas. Uh, but but a good morning to come and and be together. And uh, we are um, the second to last week of a series we are doing um, called Correcting Christian Cliche. And uh, what this series is about, if this is the first time you're joining us, is uh, there, there are a lot of things that people say, there are a lot of things that Christian people say that are usually almost always well-intended, but um, a lot of times um, fall short. They're not always helpful. And we, we're really talking about some of those things and why they fall short and trying to do some theological work in the Bible, understanding who God is, who we are, in the middle of those sayings to better uh, to learn how to say these better, to learn how to think about them better, to uh, to offer a more accurate and helpful witness to the God of the Bible who loves us. And today, um, I am absolutely certain every single person is familiar with the cliche we're going to talk about today. It is this one, everything happens for a reason. Uh, we are going to do a look at just a single verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28. We're going to examine it. Um, and, uh, and if you got a Bible, you can turn there now. Um, if you want to pull it up on your phone, that's great too. Uh, but while you're doing that, why don't we all go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Ready our hearts and minds to hear God's word. Lord, we are thankful to be gathered here today. We are thankful for, um, for a heater and a cold morning. We are thankful for uh, breath in our lungs uh, when we open our eyes, we are thankful for how you, uh, who are the giver of every good and perfect gift, so freely give to us, so freely offer your love, and um, so freely speak that love into our lives, Lord. And I just pray that as we hear it and we understand it, Lord, we would, we would respond to it. Um, uh, we, would, we would be moved by your grace so that we could be uh, free, so that we could know this anchor that we have in you, and Lord, that we could move forward as, as people who are formed and becoming like Jesus. Lord, so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'll read it one more time. It's short. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We live in a world of cause and effect. You know, from the squinty smile that I saw on my daughter's face this morning to the green leaves that turn brown this time of year, to uh, your presence here at church, there is a reason behind every reality of life that we are living in. Uh, for everything that happens, there is a reason for it happening. Uh, nobody had to teach us that reality that we lived in a world of cause and effect. In fact, we actually just learned it by living here. 
That's how we, we discovered it. That first time, maybe uh, we had that uncomfortable feeling in our tummy as a baby, and we didn't really even know what it was. We didn't know that it was a problem. We didn't know how to fix it. That wonderful person named Mama came along and made it all better. And uh, from there on out, we, we recognized that every time there was this uncomfortable feeling, there, that reason caused uh, that wonderful person, Mama, to be a part of our lives. And so we started to learn that we live in a world of cause and effect. And throughout life, there have been so many things that have reinforced that world, that understanding of the world, uh, like our language. Do you know that cause and effect is actually uh, foundational building blocks for the, the, all, all languages, but in English, you know, these words uh, that we know, um, since, so, if, because, those, those words all speak the language of cause and effect. I tried to teach my son Johnny to count sheep because, right, he couldn't sleep the other night. The effect was not sleeping. The cause uh, was me teaching, uh, no, the cause was his not sleeping. The effect was me teaching him to count sheep, right? Um, since I am going to visit some dear friends in Illinois this next week, I decided to wear this incredible t-shirt at church today. The t-shirt, incredible button-up shirt at church today. If you need a, a closer view, there it is. Um, those are my dear friends that I'll be visiting, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the effect is the shirt, and the cause for me wearing it is my great joy. And it was actually Shannon's idea that I buy the shirt, not that I wore it at church this morning. That was not her idea, just to be clear. Um, why is our language uh, built on cause and effect? Well, it's because our world is built on cause and effect. The language describes the reality. It's a reality philosophers have, have learned to call causality. If you have ever studied philosophy, the laws of logic and reasoning, causality is fundamental to them. Or if you're a physicist, uh, you would know that one of the fundamental laws that we understand to guide our universe is a law of cause and effect. Newton's third law, which says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That is cause and effects, folks. A fundamental law of physics, a fundamental law in the universe, and all, all that all that to say that we really do live in a world where everything happens for a reason. Um, however, when most people say everything happens for a reason, they, they usually aren't speaking to the reality of cause and effect in the world. Instead, what, what we have in mind when we say it or when folks say it is usually there, there is a, a suffering that is happening and there's a reason behind it. That, that, that's what's in mind. When people say everything happens for a reason, they are seeing the effect of suffering in their, in, in, t oftentimes in someone else's life, and they are looking for a cause, saying there must be a cause for this. Because if this bad thing happened, we want to believe that there is some good reason that can help justify it happening. Right? That, that, that's what I think is at the heart of this. It makes us feel better about the bad thing if a good thing or a better thing can come out of it, right? If this person died in a car crash, we, we might want to believe that they were being spared a horrible battle with cancer, right? If someone does have to go through a horrible battle with cancer, we would feel better about it if 
through that battle, their, their character would increase, right? They, they would lose their pride. They would be able to reconcile with, say, a, a family member from who they were estranged. Those things would make us feel better about the suffering and the bad things that happened, the good thing, right? However, uh, what's interesting about the, the phrase, everything happens for a reason, is we don't know any of those things for sure, we just hope something like that is true, right? That's the kind of reason we want for the everything that has happened, right? That's why we say everything happens for a reason. And before I give uh, two, two um, reasons why I think searching for a cause with this phrase, everything happens for a reason, isn't such a helpful idea one thing that I, I really do want to say, and I think I need to acknowledge, is that the intent of folks who say this, and if we've said it, our intent when we said it, is almost always good. Like, there, there's a heart behind, the heart behind this cliche is a good heart, right? Uh, one that is trying to be kind, one that is trying to be sympathetic, one that's actually trying to make sense of suffering itself, which is one of the ultimate questions of life. How do we make sense of suffering? And while this cliche uh, oftentimes does not feel good on the receiving end, while sometimes uh, the cliched everything happens for a reason doesn't make any sense, it's still intended as good, right? Even when people say, and this is a cliche that um, has been handed to us, uh, God needed another angel, right? You guys heard that one before? That is actually uh, a, a version of everything happens for a reason because someone passed away and the reason that we're trying to give is um, that there, there was uh, another angel, which um, I, I, I very much understand the sentiment, um, but I, I will say it has no biblical basis and, uh, and, and really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but even in that, I think, I think the intention is good, and it's important to, to, to recognize that um, a lot of times people are trying to say something when they don't know what else to say, or, or they don't have any other words to say. And so almost all of the time, what I think we ought to do in any kind of cliche is to the greatest degree that we can extend others' grace, right? That, 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 that's an important lesson. And just let me share uh, a personal experience I've had with this. I... Um, I had a very memorable experience um, a number of years ago when I was actually recovering from a construction accident that I was in in Ukraine that, um, that I survived but took the life of two other people. And uh, one day I was back in America um, and doing physical therapy, uh, a, a routine on my own at the YMCA. And I, I was um, still in not great shape. Uh, at this point. I was on crutches. I was pretty bruised and battered. Um, I had a wound on my leg that was a red-hot eyesore that everybody couldn't help looking at. And, um, and I got into the locker room at the Y, and I kind of stepped in and got into where I was going to change. And there was a fella standing there, and he kind of looked me up and down, and, and he said, man, you look terrible. <laughs> and, uh, and he was right. Like, I did. I, I, I could understand that. I appreciated, actually, him just striking up a conversation as I was awkwardly trying to, like, you know, get undressed and stuff. Um, but what he said after that um, was this, uh, man, I would hate to see the other guy, right? And I, I don't know if you guys have heard that one before, but what that is, if you haven't, is he was implying 
um, not a reality, but just saying, oh, you must have been in, the fi- in a fight and you're okay, but you won the fight and the other guy must be in worse shape than you are. Well, um, again, like his intent was good, but in my situation, the other two guys were dead and they were dear friends of mine. And in fact, I had seen one of them. I had seen one of the other guys and that image is forever burned in my mind, right? And so that wasn't uh, a very helpful thing for me to hear in that moment, as, as you can imagine. I didn't laugh, and, um, and I, I got pretty upset, right, as, as you might imagine. Uh, in fact, um, my heart started beating at workout pace before I even left the locker room, right? And I, uh, I really thought about chewing this guy's head off. And um, in that moment, I can only say because of God's grace, I started to, to think about all the times where I had said something well-intended that was not a very good thing to say at the moment, and I didn't know. I thought about all the times my unthoughtful and even thoughtful attempts to say something had fallen short, and others had offered me grace. And so instead of biting his head off, I, I chose in that moment actually just to kind of nod and excuse myself from the locker room. And that was, uh, for me, the best extension of grace that I could do in that moment. And I think it was the right call. And I just want to tell you guys, I think to the greatest degree we can, uh, when we experience cliches, even on, on the bad end, we ought to extend as much grace as we can as well, okay? That experience also, though, hones in on one of the main problems with what I think is, is uh, the problem with everything happens for a reason, and it's really the unthoughtful implications that follow from it. Okay, so, so let's state it like this. Here's the first problem. Everything happens for a reason implies that God is the reason for all ungodly things. Everything happens for a reason implies that God is the reason for all ungodly things. I, I, wa- I want to now kind of get back into our verse in Romans 8, 28, and just really make sure that we, we hear what it's saying, and we make sure that we hear what it's not saying as well, okay? So, so um, let's read it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, so what, what does this verse say about God, and what does it say God does? If you were to filter that down to its most basic aspect, this is what I think is the heart of, about God in, in this verse. God works, right? God works. God is the subject we are trying to understand, and uh, works is the verb. Uh, that, that's the heart of it. So um, the next question we might ask is, how does God work? How does God work uh, in, in this verse? And it's very simple. God works. How? For the good of those who love him, right? So those who are in a relationship with God, who love God, God works for them, for their good, right? That is what this verse says. And then you might ask the question, when does God work, right? That is also there in this verse. Uh, it, it's in all things, right? We know that in all things, at all times, God works for the good of those who love him. In everything that happens, God works for the good of those who love him. In the good things, in the bad things, in the normal things, in the abnormal things, God is working for the good of those who love him. That's what that is saying. In all things that happen, God is working for the good of those who love him. We got that? That's all that verse is saying, okay? 
I think the challenge is that we make some assumptions in how we hear that verse. So this is what I think people hear in this scripture. Um, It's this. Because God loves us, God is at work in this bad thing that happened. God is working out some greater plan. So that subtle difference, uh, and it's actually very similar to the verse, but what's happening is that we're moving from a general in all things to a specific thing. God is at work in this specific thing that happens. God is working out some, some plan. Uh, and, and, and it makes a lot of sense, okay? So um, step back for a second. That might not sound wrong, like when you hear it, right? You might be like, uh, actually, when I wrote this and I, and I kind of worked through this out loud, I was like, that is basically the same thing that I just said. <laughs> but, but, uh, and that's to say that, that it is a half-truth, that there's something going on there. Um, and let me also say, I think that like hearing the scripture in this way is very faithful. It, it, it actually is an act of faith to do that. Um, when somebody is suffering, dealing with something terrible, it is an act of faith. It's a good thing to say, I still believe God loves me even now and is working for my good even now. I still trust God in this. That's a beautiful, faithful response that I hope to be able to have no matter what happens in my life, right? But here is the important distinction to make that is at the heart of the problem with hearing the verse that way. Just because God is at work in a thing doesn't mean that God caused the thing, okay? Uh, Just because that God is at work in a thing doesn't mean that God's caused the thing. Romans 8.28 doesn't say God caused the thing. It does not. That is not what it says. All Romans 8.28 said is that God uh, responded to the thing in love. Okay? God is at work in all things that happen uh, in love. It's actually uh, my statistics professor comes to mind here. uh, uh, Statistics 101, the University of Illinois. Correlation is not causality. Correlation is not causality. Correlation is not causality. The guy was so annoying with that. But um, but what what he's saying is that just because something happens alongside something doesn't mean that it's the cause of something. And we have to be very careful to make that distinction, right? Because when it comes to the all of the things that happen in the world. This verse, the Bible does not say that God is the cause underneath them all. The the Bible says, uh, especially in his work in our lives and for the gospel, is that God responds to those things in love, and that's it. That is all Romans 8.28 is saying. God isn't the cause of all things, but God's love and work of good is still happening uh, in the midst of, despite, even though uh, all things are happening. And, 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 and I want to uh, step back and say there is a greater discussion to have here, and I'm sure some of you guys are feeling, about the interplay of God's sovereignty and, um, and, and the, the human choice and decisions that we make. That's also a discussion in the Bible uh, that, that, that needs to be had. Um, it's worth studying and understanding. Uh, however, um, what I want to tell you is that over and above that conversation, right? Something that is utterly clear is the reason why bad things happen, and the answer is simply in the Bible because of sin, right? Sin is the reason why uh, bad things happen 
period, full stop. That's foundational in, in our understanding of the world and where it is. And it, it begins at the heart of, it, it's at the beginning of Scripture. Genesis 3, begin from the beginning. Right away, we learn that sin was the thing that ruined our relationship with God, that got us out of the place of Eden with God, that broke our relationship with another, that broke our relationship with creation, and, and is the first cause that led to uh, all the bad things that happened thereafter, right? Um, if there was a first push of the domino, it was that original sin in the garden which created a world that was stricken by sin. And, and, and what that means, biblically speaking, is today... And every day since that first day, sometimes the only reason bad things happen isn't because of some specific sin, but because of the general sin that happened in the beginning, right? It broke the foundations of the world, and we contributed to it in the decisions of our lives in our own sin, but sin is a reality of life in, in, in this world. And, 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 and so a lot of times when it comes to the suffering in our lives, there is no reason for that bad happening. It just happens because we live in a broken, messed up, sinful world. And to, um, and to imply otherwise, right, that there's always a reason for bad things happening uh, actually attributes to God um, the cause of those reasons, and it does it incorrectly. And let me just put some flesh on this so, so you, can, you can get out of the abstract and really drive this home. I read the story last week of a fellow named uh, James Costello. Um, I doubt anybody knows him, but he uh, was standing um, in 2013 at the finish line of the Boston Marathon when the Boston Marathon bombing happened. And, uh, and what happened was uh, he had some shrapnel come at him, and uh, he actually was, you can't see it there because he's in shock and moving, but his legs ended up being very severely burned um, and he spent a number of, uh, of months in the hospital and rehab getting better. <clears throat> and um, one of the surprising things that happened for James when he was in the hospital is um, he met uh, a nurse who was one of his nurses named Krista, and, um, and they uh, hit it off. They hit it off romantically, which is uh, interesting with a nurse, your nurse, but... Um, they, they started a relationship, started dating, and actually not too long afterwards, they got engaged. And, um, and uh, this is what uh, James Costello said um, on Facebook after he got engaged. He posted a picture of the ring and said this, Now I realize why I was involved in the tragedy. It was to meet my best friend and the love of my life. Okay. So um, that's a very nice story. Like, it, it is a really good thing that happened for James Costello. Um, and, and I very much appreciate his ability to, to see, um, even in this bad thing that happened to him, a good thing. Um, what I think is problematic is, is how the implications of what he is saying are often and could be understood. Because for a whole lot of people who weren't involved in the who were involved in the Boston Marathon bombing, there wasn't any happy ending to their story. 
right? Like they weren't able to look at an outcome and say, I know why I was involved in that. Like I see the greater reason or the purpose because someone they loved was killed. Some part of their life was forever lost. I read a story just after this of a woman who was a ballroom dancer who lost her leg from the knee down, right? Her life is forever changed. And, and she hasn't yet found, at least when I read that article, when it was written, her happier ending. So what was her reason for being involved in, in the Boston Marathon bombing, right? You see, the problem is that if God somehow had any causation in, in the bombing to allow for a good thing for James Costello, it means that God also had some uh, cause in the bad things that have not seen resolution in the lives of all those other people. And, um, and, and so... If we are to say everything happened for a reason and specifically then say, here's the reason, right? We've got to recognize all the other people who are around us who, who, who are going to understand that, that they don't see God's reason for them. Like it didn't feel very good. They don't see how God was working for good in this, right? Like what good did God have in mind for the Boston bombing? Right? That's the question that, that we've got to ask. What good did, did God have in mind for the bar shooting in California this last Thursday? Right? Or, or the Holocaust or the Black Plague or slavery? And how was that worth whatever good we can perceive retrospectively from those terrible things that happened? Right? You guys, you guys get the point? You see the problem? It's in the implications. If God intended for everything to happen because for one specific purpose, person, he is working out a good and it affects the life of other people, uh, what that means is that God ends up being responsible for some ungodly things. Correlation is not causation. Just because God did something good after it, um, after it happened, in response to it, it does not mean that God caused it. The biblical reason that God that God caused that, that it happened is because of sin, and and sometimes bad things happen simply because of sin. We live in a broken, messed up world. Period. That's it. Okay. Um, here, here's the second thing that I, I really want to point out. Everything happens for a reason. Short circuits the God-given gift of grief. This is the other problem I really see. Everything happens for a reason. Short circuits the God-given gift of grief. If I could recommend um, a book here, and I am recommending it. It is, it is fantastic. I ran across it this last week and ended up buying it and have started reading it. It's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Um, it's a great title. And uh, this book is a memoir of a, an incredible woman named Kate Baller, who is a mom, a wife, and a pr assistant professor at Duke Divinity School, who um, very interestingly happens to be one of the leading experts of the prosperity gospel movement. So Kate Baller is the first person to have written a history of the prosperity gospel, which gives her a, a really interesting perspective to, to think about something like everything happens for a reason, and um, also gives her an incredible perspective for wrestling with the thing that happened in her own life, which is that at the age of 35, this mom and woman with everything ahead of her got diagnosed uh, with terminal cancer with an uncurable colon cancer. And so her writing this book was her wrestling with that reality and, and with this thing that she loved at one point, wanted to believe 
that everything happens for a reason, and this this just crushed it, right? And and one of the aspects of the book that I think is so relevant to this conversation we're having this morning is what she 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 calls the tyranny of prescriptive joy. The tyranny of prescriptive joy. So when you prescribe something, you offer someone to something. something. And when it's joy, you're offering them joy. You're saying, here, you need a little joy in your life, right? And, uh, and this is actually some of the bread and butter of how the prosperity gospel uh, works, right? Um, you name a reality that's better than the one you're living in, and you claim it, and you say, this is how my life is going to be, even if it's not. Uh, you, it's, it's also part of the positive thinking stuff that's happening these days, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide that this is going to be good, that I'm going to have a good day, like, day. And there are merits in those things. But what, what Bowler really uh, points out, the tension she draws, is that when our reality isn't joyful, and it really is unlikely to get there, right? Uh, prescribing joy to other people is not a good approach. It's not helpful. It doesn't help. When you have a terminal illness at the age of 35, the reality is things are not okay and do not try to force me into joy otherwise. It's a tyranny. And that's why she says, I've experienced the tyranny of prescriptive joy. And so, uh, you know, she, she illustrates this in the book. And one of the places where it surprised me but was really helpful was when she described how she felt its presence actually in the cancer clinic. I want to read uh, for you guys what, what, she, what she wrote. Cancer clinics try to be places of encouragement, and for that we can offer them a slow hand clap. But mostly they are encounters with death set to the tune of a young volunteer on the lobby's baby grand piano and the muffled sounds of someone yelling, Mr. Smith, it's your turn for blood work, right? Pale and puffy, the patients lean their heads on the hard edges of the seats beside them, or sink into the bony shoulders of their companions. Everyone looks up when a name is called, momentarily revived. There are wheelchairs everywhere and bald, wrinkled women in bright kerchiefs and someone coughing blood beside a mural that reads, laughter is the best medicine. Right, there's the prescriptive joy. Here's what Balor said, Lord, I hope not. Right? Do, do, do you guys see, like, kind of what she's living in there, she actually is saying, like, I do appreciate the effort of trying to make a place that is not happy a little happier, right? She's not upset that somebody's playing the baby grand piano. It, it actually is, is, deserves a slow hand clap, right? Um, but what she is saying is, uh, is at the same time, laughter is not the best medicine when you're terminally ill, Right? It's good, it can help in the moment, but it doesn't wipe away the reality I'm living with and the grief I need to work through. Even if I am laughing, I still have poisons pumping through my veins. Even if I am laughing, I still have an even greater poison, a more lethal intruder called cancer that is likely to end my life. Even if I can experience a joy, right, I still have this tremendous shadow creeping up over the horizon and I don't see any way to avoid it in my death, right? I have to face this reality. Don't prescribe me joy, right? And, and, and when I think about our saying, everything happens for a reason, isn't it really just an, another form of prescriptive joy? Th- that, that's what it is. We, we are uh, saying, 
this is why you, you're able to have some hope and some happiness. But people are still in the throes of grief. They're still trying to, to deal with the reality of, of, of what's happening. And, 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 and the thing that we've got to understand is grief is good. Grief is a God-given gift that helps us deal with the reality of things that are not as they were supposed to be, okay? And, and, and we have to let grief do its work. We have to, we have to um, let grief uh, allow us to, to, to lose it in a situation that, that calls for us to absolutely lose it. Grief gives us space to get angry and upset about something that is angry and upsetting. Grief enables us to, to, to actually um, work through and, and put down this thing that we're carrying instead of trying to move through the entire rest of life without accepting the reality that we're living in. Um, once, and, and, and the thing about grief is once we work through that healthy process, it's then... It, it, it's then that we're able to step back and look and see places where God's grace was present, even in the middle of really bad things that were happening, right? That's when we're able to look retrospectively and, and see how God was at work, um, even though he did not cause the horrible thing that, 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 that's happening to me. And, and, and so we just can't jump over that process. We can't short circuit it. We can't tell ourselves something is right when it is not right. And we need to be brave enough to grieve. We need to be brave enough to allow other people to grieve as, as well. Um, you know, I, I want to close with this. I read an interview just doing some work uh, in the book and trying to know a little bit more about Kate Baller, um, where, where she was interviewed by someone who asked her a very strong question. Um, it was this. Did Christianity fail you? Did Christianity fail you? You know, you're, you're, you're going to die, and you know that. And, and what has this done to your faith? Do you feel like your faith has failed you? Here, here was her response. Sometimes it felt like that, in part because of the stuff people said using the Christian faith to be incredibly trite. But Christianity also saved the day, right? You want a brave faith, one that says, in the midst of the crushing brokenness, there is something else there, the undeniable, overwhelming love of God. I love that quote. I think it is so at the heart of where we need to be because that is one of the most incredible things about Christianity that really sets Jesus and our faith apart from anything else in the world. It's a brave faith, right? It hasn't backed away from the reality or the pain and the suffering of sin. Christianity hasn't held back its tears from the face of death. Christianity hasn't tried to prescribe joy when we are suffering and we need to mourn. But Jesus has, in the midst of all those things, shown us a cross and an empty tomb that, that, that give witness to the undeniable, overwhelming love of God, just like Kate Ballard said. And, and that is the reason why we have faith despite the terrible realities of suffering and death that we all live in. That's a brave response, friends. And it's a reason to believe in the love of God that is still present, even in the terrible everythings that happen for no reason at all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, 
I just want to thank you for giving us the space to really wrestle and try to understand um, who you are and who we are and how all that plays out in this big, crazy, incredible, beautiful, broken world, Lord. And I, I just uh, pray that as we have wrestled with this idea, as we have tried to understand those things, Lord, that you would offer us grace, that you would help us um, engage your word well, that you would help us uh, engage you and those whom we love around us well. Would you give us the courage to, to grieve? Would you give courage to let those around us grieve? And Lord, would you, through the process, help us to see the hope that we have in you, Lord, that is, that is unmatched in any other place, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We put our hope in the empty tomb, and these things we do, and the one who hung on the cross and rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. Amen.